being taught to a new generation as came out from the wanderings in the wilderness, and going over some of the laws and statutes to this new generation. And he begins the sixth chapter by saying, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it. Now thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy day, days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. They shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word tonight. We realize, Father, these words were spoken and penned many, many years ago. We realize, Master, you spoke them even to us. So we pray tonight that we might extract them from that precious holy book, make them become alive to us tonight. Father, we pray for your anointing. We pray for your strength. We pray, Master, that you would move upon hearts and lives that are here tonight and give us a freshness, Master, of our heart and our mind. We might be able to know thee in a very, very precious way. We thank you and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I will be reading some again from the 119th Psalm. But we want to talk tonight, and it's going to be a very, very simple subject, but I want to talk tonight about this book. How many have a Bible? Just raise it up there, hold it up there high, and this is the book. This is an important book. One that uh, possibly we don't realize the importance of it. And I want to read from the 129th verse from the psalmist David's 119th chapter. It said, Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Let's read that one again. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Look thou upon me, and be merciful unto me, as thou usest to do unto these those that love thy name. Order my steps in thy word. 
and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. Rivers of water run down mine eyes, because they keep not the law. Call your particular attention tonight to the 132nd verse, or the 131st verse, it simply says, I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Now, the word of God is the psalmist David knew it. It's small in comparison to the Bible as we know it today. He didn't have the New Testament, he didn't have some of the other writings, and from our point of view, all the parts that are essential are missing. But the psalmist David loved God's Word. The psalmist David studied God's Word. The psalmist David believed God's Word. The psalmist David found in God's Word things that would solidify his life. He found that word a very precious help in a time of problems and in a time of trouble. And you read his psalms and you'll know that David was comfortable in God's word, what he had of it, and the revelation of God. But as sad as it might seem, and perhaps a brash statement on my part, but the same is not true today. There are probably more Bibles today printed, probably distributed more than any other book that there is. Almost every home, whether they be homes of Christians, homes of sinners, or what have you, has a Bible usually somewhere. And supposedly, I read this, I have no reason but what to believe it so supposedly, Copies of the Bible have been placed in specifically constructed vaults as separated in Colorado, in New Hampshire, and in New York in hopes that at least one copy of the Bible would be spared in case of some type of a nuclear attack. And yet, strange as it might seem, the Bible is probably the most neglected book there is. And we want to talk about that a little bit tonight. The Bible is in most Christians' homes, but most Christians are unfamiliar with what it says. Most Christians are unfamiliar with what it means to their life. It is a book. We call it the Bible. It is not a book. It is the book. And we call it the Bible, and inside there are answers to every question we have. There's paths laid out to every wilderness that we want to walk in. There's love stories in there that surpass any of your true story books. There's history that will surpass any of your history books. There's poetry that astonishes the greatest poet. In other words, whatever you need in your life, the Word of God has it. But as sad as it may seem, we use it to press flowers, or to keep locks of hair, or to lay on a stand table somewhere, and it probably catches a lot of dust. 
Everybody claims they love it. Read a story not too long ago about a minister discussing some scripture to the family. He asked the mother of that family if she would get her Bible so he could read that scripture. Mother called her little daughter and said, Honey, go to the bedroom and get that book we all love so much. The little daughter obediently went to the bedroom and came back with the Sears and Roebuck catalog. So you see, children are probably the most honest individuals they are, and they probably spent more time in that wish book than they did in the Bible. And most probably were Christians. And we're living, again, I'm going to say, and I'm not going to answer for you tonight other than to throw out a challenge for you, we're living in probably the age that's most enlightened. And the Bible is accessible to anybody that so desires to have it. And there's very few people but what has one, but it is neglected. Very few people, even Christian people, loving people, I might go so far as to say even those filled with the Holy Ghost find very precious little time to get into the Word of God and actual study to see what it means to their life. In times of adversity, oftentimes, the Bible has our answer. Times when there's, we're uh, uh, precariously on a ledge somewhere and we could tip either direction, the Word of God has our answer. And in sickness and in health, the Word of God still stands to the answer. But do we actually believe it? Is it something that we take actually at face value? Or is it a book that has been good for the martyrs of old and will be good for the saints that is coming up, and yet seemingly much of it is immaterial to us today? We claim we love it. We claim we believe it. But there are so many areas of it that we do not live by. We either do not read it, or certainly we don't believe it. Now, not very many of us would say we don't believe it. But actions speak louder than words. So we're living in a generation that toys with God's Word. That does not dig into the divine principles of everyday living that can be attained and ascertained from God's Word. But it hasn't always been neglected as it is today. Satan is a robber of time. He'll take our days away from us. He'll take our nights away from us. He'll take our desire to read the Word of God away from us. And sometimes days on end go by, and sometimes weeks. And maybe we'll crack the Bible for one particular little scripture. Or perhaps we might get interested enough in our Sunday school lesson to dig in the Bible and see what it says. But to use the Bible for everyday living, the answer to everyday problems is alien and foreign to most of us. And we'd have to say a grand amen to that if we're going to be truthful. It doesn't seem to be pertinent to our day, and yet it holds the answer for the past, present, and for the future. But it hasn't always been this way. As a collector of old Bibles, and I have them dating way back into the 1700s, 1800s of all types. And collector of those Bibles, I see pages that soiled. I went across pages where it has been stained with tears, indicating that these individuals 
had taken some time in their life to find answers to life's seemingly unsolvable problems. I have found places where somebody had gotten into the Word of God and stayed there. I found, uh, uh, what do you call these funeral things, where they have stuck in there and put it into the Word of God where it tells us the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then there's places that's worn and torn. In John, where it says, I will send you another comforter, and he shall dwell with you forever. In other words, individuals' lives had been so challenged that they found nothing that could suffice them but the Word of God. Now, we've been handed a lot of things that has taken place in the Word of God today. We have the finest hospitals in the land, have some of the best doctors in the land, and most of us, these things are available unto us. And sad as it might seem, we have turned our attention to them and what they can do rather than God's Word and what God says He can do in our lives. We have not used it for everyday living. It has become alien. It has become foreign to us, though it is a precious book and we embrace it as a book of Christianity. But people in the past lived by this book. They had very precious little of anything else to live by. I can remember, and I'll have to throw myself in the category with it, but I can remember when my father was raising a family of nine children. We had sicknesses like we have today. We have diseases that were everywhere, but doctors was not available, and had doctors been available, they would not have had the money to pay for this, and so they found their answers in this book. They snuggled close to God because they realized that's the only thing they had to live by and to substantiate them by. And when they needed somebody to take care of their diseases, God Almighty was ever-present, and they found Him in this book. They searched it until they found it there, and they read it, and they lived in it. They didn't just read it where it says God is a healer. They lived in that book. They stayed in that book. They cried over that book. And those Bibles that I've got in some of the places, you can almost identify the predicaments that these individuals were in. You can almost identify every problem that they had. As this book passed from one generation to another, you'd find pages worn. You'd find times where they looked for God on the mountaintop and He was there. But most importantly... They stayed in that Bible and lived in there when they was in a low point of their life. When they had a need and nobody else could supply that need, they knew what you and I know tonight, but we don't put it into action. They knew this was the book of life and nothing else would offer life and life eternal like this book. Everybody say the book. Everybody say the book. Thank some of you for not doing it, but it's the book just the same. They knew that without this book, the strivings and longings that they had, the progresses and the success they had, the hopes and the fears of men have no meaning at all. They realized that if they couldn't find their answer in that book, then there was no answer and their life was lived in vain. 
and realized that they could not find a God that was as good as his word had simply turned him aside. But he was always there in the book. He was always there with an answer already written with our problems. You know, a lot of us seek answers today that has been printed for us thousands of years. We seek God to speak to us and tell us to do something that he's already told us to do. God doesn't appreciate repetition. He has already said it, it's in his word. And if we could get in that book enough to realize it's our life and live in there, we'd find the answers to a lot of problems that's giving us confusion and perplexing us today. But the answers lay on our little table and we pass it by time and time again and we fret and we're anxious and we are depressed and we're downtrodden and we are despondent and we are discouraged. And all the time, God's answers is waving at us from this thing called the Bible. And he says, do you really believe me? Are you actually aware that he was God? Do you really believe he's God? Let me give you just one example. The Bible tells us, I realize you get tired of hearing this, but I'm challenging you on this. Do we really believe God? And the Bible challenges us time and time again. If there's any sick among you, let him call far. Not call, but call far the elders of the church, anointing them with oil. Now this is your place. And then it's the place of the elders to be able to pray the prayer of faith. But to have someone believe enough in the midst of sickness as it is raving to stand on God's word would be enough faith initiated to solve every problem that we have. But we have to live in the book. We have to believe it's there. We have to open those passages and we have to weep over them and cry over them and live in this word as if this is what our very life is dependent upon. This book does sustain our lives. So how much we're in it and how much we believe it actually is how much the Bible sustains us in this day and hour. But to those individuals Back then, during the times when times were bad, and let me remind you, they could get that bad again. You say, oh, well, when they do, I'll do this. I doubt very seriously that we will. Because a habit set is a hard habit that's hard to break. And you're not going to, at the snap of your finger, start believing God in all His fullness. It takes some perseverance and living in this book and praying in this book and abiding in this book. And when those times come, there's going to be a lot of individuals that will sell their soul. Christian individuals, I might go so far as to add, Holy Ghost-filled individuals that's never got to the place where they can actually believe God's Word meant what it said. Where they can actually believe God's Word is for us today, the same it was for the generation past, or the generation that's in the future. But to them... The Bible was a winding road in which humanity travels finally to the home of the soul. In other words, every problem they had. The Bible records in here man's longing, his desire to be someplace different than where he's at, his longing for peace, 
his longing for comfort, his longing for a tender hand to reach down in the midst of adverse condition. The Bible records from Genesis to Revelation the longings of humanity. The longings of man. But not only does it record that, it records God's ability to fulfill those longings. And God's ability to walk with us in whatever path He has chosen us to walk. It's recorded in this Bible, individuals that's filled with bitter, bitter disappointments. As Thomas David more times than one poured out his soul in disappointment to the Lord God of Israel, only to have God to answer him in his disappointments and give him a basis for a hope beyond this veil of tears. Individuals are filled with heartaches. Individuals filled with sorrow. Individuals that's walked modes of perplexity and anxieties. And the Bible speaks about this. But not only does it speak about that, it speaks about God's ability to be able to be with humanity in the midst of those things and bring them out triumphant on the other side. What did they depend on? What did they have? A few scrolls. Things that they memorized. Things that they got in their heart. Things that they did according to the commandment in Deuteronomy. Not only did they have this word and this law and these statutes and judgment in their house, but they wrote it on the fleshly tables of the hearts of their children in their house and passed it on until every one of them lived in this book and in this Bible. And the Bible challenges us not to be selfish with the Word of God. It's still good for us today to realize that there are times when we need to teach our children diligently and take them, talk to them while they sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lay down, and when you raise up, and you're supposed to bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and there's frontlets in your eyes. In other words, the reality of what God's Word was fire in their life had settled inside, and they lived by that Word. They desired very little other than to be, have the freshness of God's Word breathed upon them. That was their life. That was the thing they desired. It's an unending story, the Bible is, of prodigal humanity that has been wayward, that has walked this way and that way, found uncomfortable places like the prodigal son. And it's a story of prodigal humanity that finally comes to his senses and says, I will arise and go to my father's house. In other words, there's stories in there that let us know that in spite of our waywardness, in the spite of our unfaithfulness, in spite of our leaving the house of God, an unbelieving house of God, God remains faithful. And there are times when we simply say, I will arise and go to my Father's house. And also this Bible records the unendured story of the faithful father, of the faithful father who had said, though we are unfaithful, he remaineth faithful. And it talks about the father of that prodigal humanity that sees his wayward son a long way off and knows he's coming home and he runs to meet him and throws his arms around him and kisses him much and puts a robe on him and shoes on his feet and brings him back into the house of God. In other words, this Bible tells us how there will be times of disappointments that we are to God. How there will be times of waywardness. And we walk contrary to the will of God. How will be times when we want to do it on our own? The Bible tells us that's prodigal humanity. 
an ending story of that. And it also lets us know that the welcome open arms of the Master that's in this book, the God of Israel that is in this book, is with open arms welcoming us back and allowing us to sit in the Father's house. Through this book called The Bible, Man Approaches God. And as he approaches God, man learns how to approach his fellow man in love and appreciation to his fellow man. I'm trying to say this, unless we approach God first, we don't know how to approach our fellow man in love and thanksgiving. And this Bible shows us an approachable way to get to God. In other words, when Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, rent the veil from top to bottom, he made the unapproachable God approachable. And we can go into his presence with fellowship and love, and there we learn how to meet fellow man on his terms with love and understanding in our heart. Through this book, God walks in the cool of the day. God walks in the sunshine of the day with us. He walks in the darkness of the night and shadows of man's troubles. He finds us when we're weary, when our heart is aching, when we're despondent and when we're discouraged. And in this book is a God that continually walks the pages. He walks it from Genesis to Revelations. He comes from the Old Testament to the New. He walks through the Gospels. He walks through the Epistles. And He walks through Revelation. And He tells man that He is always there. The answer to every problem and the answer to every prayer as He walks with us in the darkness. And His light illuminates us. And we find in him a friend. And in this book, man and God walk together. <laughs> Hallelujah. In this Bible alone, man and God walk together. And this is what makes life worthwhile. And what makes life eternal. It's in the book. It's in the book. Say amen, somebody. Don't look at me like I'm silly. This is the Bible. This is truth. This is something we need to live in. It's a place that God has invited us and said, this is yours. And it's a part of us that God has given and has been so carelessly cast aside and very few of us know. All we might know, but we don't know enough to put it into realization and make it become part of our lives. And we don't trust Him enough to get inside of it and say, God, I'm going to live here. You see, it's a case of living and they are dying. And we're coming to the place as we come to the close of this dispensation of time, we're coming to the place to where there's no other place to dwell. There's no other avenue we can walk. Everything else has been snatched away from us. The privileges, the highlights that we have, and the things that we ascertain as to be ours forever has automatically gone. And unless we have lived in here, unless we have dwelled in here, unless this has become our refuge and has become our strength, we're cast out into the cold and we're wondering and we have no place to go. You meet people in this book that have had the same aspirations that you've had, had the same hopes that you have had, had the same dilemmas that you have had, the same disillusionment that surged through you. You're going to find them in the book. Now, there is a saying that misery loves company, and that's a true saying. So when you get miserable in this life, 
And when there's disillusionments and there's dilemmas in your life, in this book there's people that had the same things that you had. They probably handled them a little different than we handled them. But there's individuals in here that had uncertainties in their life, misgivings in their life, blasted hopes that they had put their hopes on, and all at once they were blasted to bits, and difficulties that are so commonplace. In this book called the Bible are individuals that knew all about those things. It's in there for us. It's in there to make us realize that these individuals had a word. And they were not ashamed to live in that word. So if you want to know how to meet life, life in your day and mine is hard to meet. There's too many things in this life that it's hard for us to face. We look around. <coughs> we watch and see as our, I'll say again, our hopes are dashed. Our aspirations are gone. And we really don't know how to face life. If these individuals had have taken a gun and blown their brains out, could have known that life was in here. These individuals that took an overdose of drugs could have known life was in here. If they could have realized, if they wanted to know how to meet life, they'd find it written in God's divine Word. And you and I need to recognize that's the answer to our problems today. I don't have a drug problem. I don't have a drinking problem, but I have, do have dilemmas. I do have disillusionments. I do have moments when hopes are shattered and I don't know where to turn. And I've found this one thing. I don't know any place else to go. I can go to a psychiatrist and lay on his couch and it would do me no good. I could run to the doctor and tell him of my aches and my pains and I would still have them. But I can go to this book and I can find individuals. I challenge you to live in it. You're going to find individuals that have felt exactly like you have felt. And they met life head on because they believed in the author of this book. They didn't think it was a fairy tale. They didn't think it was something put for the future or something for stupid men of the past. And they didn't think it was something that was just written by a bunch of fishermen that they believed the author of this book was God. He penned it under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. So if you want to know how to meet life, if you want to know how to get answers to your prayers, and you want to know what to do in the case of circumstances, I want you to go back. I want you to get in this book. I'd like for you to dwell a while in there. I'd like for you to get there and live. And I'd like for you to meet men and women that was in the same human setting that you're in. And still they found the answer. I'd like some time for us to snuggle close to old Peter. I'd like for us to feel what he felt when all his assurance you'll deny me thrice. And then to have the finger of this one he loves so much Pointed to him and then just look at him. I want you to imagine Peter as he could have felt when he said, I failed God. There's a lot of set in avenues like that. Had we know without a shadow of a doubt we have failed God. That's the best place in the world for the devil to find you. It's a good place for him to get you there. But friend, there's something else if he can't keep you there. 
You see what Jesus has already said is, Look, Peter, Satan has desired you and he might sift you as wheat, but I have paid for you. And there's not a single individual under the sound of my voice tonight of what the Master has paid for your salvation. But you have to know how Peter felt. Jesus just looked at him. And Peter's heart melted. Get close to him. Realize Peter felt like you felt when you betrayed Christ. When you should have done something that you didn't do. And a guilt trip comes on and it's heavy. You know how Peter felt. But you realize Peter felt it before you did. And let's get close to Paul who had to live the rest of his life with the idea that he had slaughtered thousands of Christians and committed them to prison before a light struck him down on the road to Damascus. Get the feeling of how Paul feels about a life wasted in the past. It's hard for us to live with this. It's hard sometimes for me to live with a year's wasted, energetic, youthful years that I could put to reason and rhyme and wasted out in sin and shame. If I didn't have Paul in those scriptures to go back and look at, I seriously doubt that I could handle it. But I snuggled close to Paul, and I said, God, if you could forgive him and use him, you can do the same thing to me. So I nestled under his arms. And Stephen, that great man of faith, had died praying for those that are stoning him to death. And Mary and Martha, Great characters, so to speak, in the Bible that faith emitted from and uh, per Priscilla and Aquila and all of those that you can speak of. If you want to find somebody that's been in predicaments like you have and still met life, get in the book. Get in the Bible. Stay there and you're going to find somebody. But you'll not only find them going into these predicaments, but you'll find how they fared in them and how God loved them in them, and how God was still a reality in their life, and came to their rescue, but nobody else could do the job. He came, and He conquered those things that was in our life. People neglect this book for a lot of reasons. I don't have any time. Hear that so much, by the time I get my day in, I simply don't have time to read the Bible. Or it's foolishness for me to read it, I can't understand it. Or I had too much of that Bible when I was young. <laughs> oh God, help us to get rid of that lie. You're never going to get too much of God's Bible when you're young. I mean, the more, what did I just read in Deuteronomy? That was not a challenge to Israel alone. That was your challenge and mine. And we was to make our household know about it. We were just setting them down. And when they went to sleep and woke up in the morning, that they should know the divine word of God. Be challenged by that word. And then we have that prevalent, prevalent excuse. I've heard time and time again, I have the Holy Ghost. If I need to know anything, God will tell me. <laughs> oh, how foolish. I said, how foolish. The Bible did tell us that the only thing the Holy Ghost will ever do in our life is to quicken our minds to that which we already know from the book, from the Bible. If we have read it, and if we have not understood it, 
or even if we have not retained it to our knowledge, when the time comes, the Spirit of God will quicken that to our lives and it will become a reality to us. Studying God's Word is never fruitless. It will always bear fruit. But to get in God's Word and live there means more than to open it. Read a few passages of Scriptures and lay it down. It means to get in there and get in this promise and live in that promise. Make that promise become a part of your life and get so instilled in that that you will take nothing else but that. But the most important thing for us tonight is to understand why we should not neglect this book. Number one, we need to consider the author. <laughs> and that author was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now God has to reveal His will somewhere and He has to explain it to the heart of man. And that comes from the Word of God. If He is the judge of mankind, then He must give us laws to follow and we must know those laws. If He is the way, then He must explain His way and place a spiritual map in our hands that we might be able to walk thereby. And this is it. Call the book the Bible. If He is our Father, then He must counsel with us. And if we are made in His image, and we are capable of understanding, and we must have some means of understanding, and that's the Word of God. A lot of us don't understand the Word. We never will understand the Word until we dwell in it. Until we decide one day that this book is so important to us that it is our life. And outside of it we have no life. Outside of it we have no promise. And we get ourselves into God's Word and we live there. In the midst of adversity, find somebody in there that has underwent it and find out how they met life, how they lived life. And then you're going to be instilled with something you've never had before. Now here's the answer. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, Profitable for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. In other words, this book, filled with all its words, and filled with all its vows, and all its verbs and adverbs, is a book that is inspired. In other words, this book has been breathed on by the Holy Ghost. That makes it a book worth living in. Because if you're living in here, you're living in something the Holy Ghost has breathed on. Something that's living in something that is alive. A professor in biology one time held up a little brown seed. And he said to his students, I know exactly the composition of this seed. I know what components is in it. It has hydrogen. It has carbon, it has nitrogen. And I can make a seed exactly like this one. But the seed I would make, if I would plant it, it would rot and it would die. One of the students lifted his hands and said, Professor, why is that? He said, because it lacks what we call life principle. Now then, I said all that to say this. Let each intellectual men write their great writings. 
Let the great poets do their work. And let these intellectuals speak their great words. But they, those words will be, as the professor's seed, they will like the life principle to stir us in life and give us life. All the great writers in this world and all the great books from every historian and the greatest Ph.D. counselors there is in this world that writes great things. These books do not have the life principle breathed upon and the power of the Holy Ghost to give us inspiration in our lives and avoid of that which gives life. And men, women, boys, and girls are seeking the advice of these individuals and reading books most enlightened age there is as far as intellect is concerned, but the most darkened age there is as far as realizing there's life in this book. There's just a whole lot of writings in this world. You can pick up a book and they have written almost on every subject in the Bible and outside the Bible. But you pick up these books and try to live in them. And they're men's books. And there's no life in them. That's why we can read them. And still be just as dead after we read them. And our problems as much unsolved as they ever was. We can live in them. We can seek the wisdom of man. We can attain the highest degrees that we can attain. We can get as wise as we care to get. But friend, all of this is like the professor's seed... It doesn't have life principle. It is not breathed upon. There is just one book. Had it ever been breathed on by the Holy Ghost? And you have one of them tonight. And if you don't, you need it. And it's not just a book that you put in your hand and carry to Sunday school and church. And go home and lay it up on the mantel someplace. It's a book that invites us to live in it. It's a book that invites us to come into it in our sickness, in our despair, in our diseases, in our unworthiness, in our failures, in our disappointments. It's a book with invitations to come and meet men, women, boys and girls and to breathe from this life principle. Found life after all is worth living. Let us plant this word in our hearts. And if we plant it there, it has a life principle and you're going to see something happening in your life. That's the reason I question experiences of a lot of individuals. Because when we get something from God, and it's actually from God's Word, there's a life principle in there. There's a change inside of us. There's a hunger somewhere. And we're not satisfied until we find it in God's Word. The Bible tells us this is my flesh. This is my word. Eat it. Thank God, let's eat it. There's one place that says it'll become bitter in our mouth. It'll become sweet in our belly. And then other parts of it will become sweet in our mouth and bitter in our belly. Depending on what we use it for and how we use it. But let this man read this book. And then let this book lead him. Not just read it and throw it aside and say it's not applicable to me and let him read it. And then let the Word lead him. Let a man study it and then he'll know what's the heart of God and what's the mind of God and what's the soul of God. He'll know about God. He'll know how God feels. He'll know God's reactions. He'll know God's attitudes towards suffering humanity. 
Let a man test his Christ. That's in the pages of all of these books. Hardly any page you can turn by what isn't pointing to Christ or back to Him. I mean, Christ is a central theme of this book. And you find Christ in here, and you're going to find His power to give life. And power to give what we need. Also, we ought to remember when we casually, unfaithfully fail to recognize what this is. It's a little black book. Most of them are covered with black, some of them are red. But inside is the Old Testament. Inside is poetry. Inside is prophets, minor prophets. Inside is Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Songs of Solomon. Inside is the Gospels. Inside is the story of the birth of Christ. Inside is the story of the life of Christ. Inside is the story of the death of Christ. And it goes on through until prophecy and revelations. But we need to remember. We need to remember the price and the cost of which this book was delivered into our hands. Hold it as sacred. Somebody paid a price to hand this down in written, intelligible letters that you and I could understand. Somebody paid a price for that. When this thing came to you registered and stamped with the blood of martyrs of mankind and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and when you open it, realize it's taped with blood. It didn't just happen to be here. It's not something that just happened to come your way. That is a carefully designed plan of Almighty God to get His Word into the hands of even the most, at least intellectual. Into the heart of everybody that cared to know about it. And friend, men died for their pains to hand you this book, how we lay on the mantle and open maybe once or twice a, a, a week. If that much, men died when we casually take it and seek for something. Men died for it. Men were driven in caves to write it. Men without a country. Matthew was beaten to death with a club. Luke was slain under the ruler. Paul was beheaded for his efforts. Peter was crucified upside down. And on and on you could go. Of men that stamped the blood of their life in this book. And they gave it. And then the writers of the later translations came through the fire also. They translated in dungeons. In pastors. Writing in adverse conditions. Jerome was persecuted severely by his first Latin Vulgate translation. When he was endeavoring to get this word into the hands of as many as he could, and he translated it into the Latin Vulgate, and he was persecuted securely. Luther had to run for his life because of his revelations. And Tyndale went to a martyr's death, crying, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England, and stamped this with his blood. It cost much. My friend, tonight, to get a copy of this Bible in your hand. It costs too much for us to use it. 
as, un, as failing as we do. It costs too much for us to use it as just a Bible how we might carry to Sunday school or church. Friend, it was bought and paid for and sealed in the blood of martyrs and especially our Lord Jesus Christ to put it in our hands how we might get in there and live a triumphant, abundant life that it affords us. And we have it. God, I'm not worthy of this book. I'm not worthy to be able to raise up in the morning and open it up. I'm not worthy to bring it into my office and let you answer my problems. I'm not worthy to pick it up in my home and open it up in my destitute hours. I'm not worthy to live in it. But yet you gave it to me. Men died. Men was persecuted. It was handed down. It was sealed in their blood. And I have it. And it didn't cost me anything. It didn't cost me a thing. Forefathers suffered to bring the truth out of it. You see, they had to live in it. They had to get in it. They couldn't be satisfied with the denominal excuses for what they said the Bible said. They couldn't be satisfied with the people explanations of what the Bible was. And so they got in it and they lived in it. And as they lived in it, God spoke to them and said, there's more to it than that. There is a power you can have in your life. And they paid the price for this. And they handed it down and said, you take this truth and get in the Bible and live there. And they suffered. They was mocked. They was laughed at. They was ridiculed. They wasn't thought much of. And it brought us to the brightness of our day. Where we're accepted. We're accepted today. And somebody, there's nothing wrong with being accepted, but somebody paid a price. Somebody handed us that Bible. Now, I want to challenge us tonight. There's other truths in there that's never been brought out yet. And they never will until we start living in it again. Until we get in it and realize this is our life. This is a book, and this book is a stage on which living examples walk and give their startling, thrilling testimonies as well as their admonitions. I want you to notice that we uh, uh, dealt with that a little bit last Sunday night, but I want you to notice that out from the pages of this book doesn't come Abel necessarily alone, and out of the pages of this book comes Cain. What's Cain have to say to us? He shows us the danger of jealousies and incomplete obedience to God. It's in this book. If we're living in it, we know it's in there. And we have Judas that warns us how we shouldn't covet position or money. He screams out at us. We have Pilate that shows us that it never pays to be a cloud creep. Cloud pleaser, I get that right after a while, on a public, follow public opinion. But the greatest of all, I walk across this stage, it's in this called, called this book, is Jesus Christ Himself. He's the last act, He's the last scene, He's the last word. And in the midst of our 
troubled conditions, he speaks in this book with calmness. Soothes that fevered brow. And in the midst of our nervous conditions in this world and our lack of peace, he speaks assurance to us. In the midst of a world that has no convictions, he speaks out of the conviction of his heart, for he has lived his part. He's not somebody that appeared on the scene and made demands. He's actually an actor that stepped forth on the stage and actually lived his part, fulfilled what he was there for. And he says these words to us, If you're lost, I'm the way. If you don't know what truth is, I am truth. If you need life, I am life. And he says, if you're lost and don't know which direction to go, just get in that book and just start following me. I'll take you where you need to go. Glory. Can you say glory? glory? Hallelujah. He's lived his part. He's walked his way. He's challenged our lives. And he had not forgotten so much that it's recorded in here. Anytime you need to know his life, it's in there. And he wants to make it personal to us. What more can be said? What else is there to say? What more do we want? In fact, the business, what more do we need? The Bible is God's word to man. The Bible is something that speaks directly to us as individuals, as well as nations and congregations. There's it all down. God being great that he covers the whole universe, fills the heavens and fills the earth is still small enough to be concerned about the very personal problems of every individual that's here. And he says, if you look close enough, you'll find somebody that showed you how to meet life in these conditions. You see, a lot of times we go to prayer and ask God, what can I do? And God is inviting us into the book. He wants us to get in there and see what has been done before us and what has worked before us. And he wants us to know that if it worked for them, he says, I'm God and I change not. And if it worked for them, it'll work for us. And it requires the same sold-out condition. Same cry is sounding out to us. Find you a page that's applicable to your life. And get in it and live there. Where that page thin, I want to show you. I've got a Bible that's got one part of Hebrews, almost all of Hebrews, unreadable. During eight years of my sickness when there wasn't any hope, I went to Hebrews, which is the chapter on faith, and I lived in that, and I cried in that, and I prayed in that, and I claimed those things, and I went back with these heroes of faith and endured these things. I lived in the Bible. It was the only thing I had. Because when you look at the doctrine of faith and he tells you without any doubt you're going to die, boy. There's no hope for you whatsoever. There's nothing we can do. Then you are finally at last faced with the fact, where does my life come from? What do I live in? What can I go to? What's left for me? And then you find God's Word and you get it and then you live in it. I had to change Bibles. I've still got it because it, I remember it. And it's so worn that there's places where my thumb is grasped. And I've cried and I've sweated, I've perspired and I've cried. And when I lifted my thumb out, the part of the page came out with it. 
Because I lived in there. It was what I needed. The only thing I had. It was my medicine. It was my stability. It was my crib that God rocked me in. It was my medicine God gave me. It was my milk. It was my meat. It's the only thing I had. And I lived in it. I would have died in it. I said I would have died in it. Because it was all I had left. Everybody wants to live. I'll try to get through in a minute. Everybody wants to live. And I cried to live. And the only part of life I had was that chapter that I lived in. But I would have died in that chapter. Because I realized in it there's others that was just important and more so than I was. And they had no deliverance as far as the world was concerned. And I knew this one thing. If I went out with a heart that was unable to supply this body with life, on that resurrection morning, I would come forth whole in Jesus Christ because this thing has life principle in it. It's God's Word to man. Inside the stuff that makes life meaningful. Inside the stuff that turns defeat into victory. It provides life in here that no storm can beat down or destroy. Hallelujah. Let any storm in our life come and you'll find some place and some pages in the Bible that is strong enough that this storm couldn't destroy. And in this Bible is a hand that no panic can shorten this hand. Regardless of how uh, panicky you get, regardless of how nervous you get, Regardless of how unfaithful you get, there's still a hand that can't be shortened by these things. And he reaches down in this word. And you'll find him there. It offers light. And no darkness in this world can dim. That's the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. This book is the word of God. And in it, if you get in there, you'll meet the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And his name is Jesus. And he's walked every page of it. And he's breathed on every part of it. I believe that as long, friend, as we can remember who he is, as long as we can remember what he said, his hand will never lose his hold on us. You know the story about the little boy holding his mother's hand in the storm and he got tired. A little, little woman said, son, hold my hand. If you don't, you'll get lost. Finally, he got tired and he got weary and he said, mommy... I'm too tired to hold your hand anymore. Can you just hold mine? And her grip tightened. That's the hand that we find in the Master. When our hand becomes feeble, when our arms become heavy, when our grip slackens, then we say, God, I can't do it any longer. And you'll find that hand of God gripping us, and it won't turn us loose. It's Bible. It's life principle. It's the book. It's the Word of God. The only thing this world has, you have in this world. I'm persuaded to believe, if we can believe who he is and what he said, that his final words will never be spoken. Because there is no end to him. He will always be speaking. When we run to the end of this Bible, and when we run the gauntlet from Genesis to Revelation, and we find no place else that he's speaking, he's still going to be able to speak. He takes us into the thousand-year reign of peace and He speaks there. And He takes us on in to the eighth and eternal day and He'll always be speaking to His people. There'll be no final end to it at all. So friend, in view of what I've said tonight, hopefully in view of what the Spirit has pricked in your heart, let's pick this book up. 
and let's start living in it. Let's start making it an integral part of our everyday life. Let's make it a portion of our everyday walk. Let's find something in it that's equal to the task we're facing. Let's get in it and let's live there. And when you read this book, and when you open those precious, precious blood-bought pages, remind yourself that this is written in blood. Would you do that? Remind yourself this is not ink, this is blood. It was written in the blood of martyrs of Jesus Christ. Breathed upon by the Holy Ghost. When you open it up, ask yourself this. What's God trying to say to me in His Word today? What's He want out of me? For in these words is life. The old gospel hymn, you never hear it saying anymore, and this is just a portion of it. But it would be good for us today. It simply says, Beyond the sacred page I seek thee, Lord, my spirit pants for thee, O living word. You see, the psalmist David simply cried out the words, I opened my mouth and I panted, for I longed for your commandment. The Word of God meant so much to him that he panted after it. Couldn't be satisfied without it. He lived in it. And yet we have so much more than this psalmist David had. So many more writings and we have the life of Jesus. The writings of Apostle Paul. We have it handed down to us. Postage stamped with the blood. I appreciate it. I think more in my life than I ever did. I hold it close. To me, it's more than just a little book. It's the book. It's more than a book. It's the book. It's more than just the Bible. It's life. It's history. It's poetry. It's love story. But in it, it's the ways of overcoming and the ways of victory. We have mistreated it. They're asking today for our president to be honest. I hope he is. I hope he does. But honesty is something we all need to face. Honest with herself tonight, really what has this book meant to me? Is it fit?